Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly. And it's a tough act to follow, just like always, when I have to follow you. Folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. And thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection. Basically, anytime things start showing up at the garden centers, whether it be trees, shrubs, lawn, sod, you know, all that kind of stuff, you pretty much can go ahead and get them planted. So that's not always going to be necessarily the case, but for the most part, that's a pretty good rule to use. So um, you're, let's say you like the summer f- bulbs. So in other words, the elephant ears and the cannas and things like that. I don't know if they're at the garden centers yet, but I have a bunch that I've been growing for years and I pull them out of the pots and take them in the basement. So I haven't put those back in the pots yet. I'm going to wait till it gets just a little bit warmer because they're not going to do any growing anyway. How about your ground covers? How are they looking? Let's say your ivies and things like that. Uh, ooh, maybe some of that winter chill in January caused your ivy to have some tip burn. So set your mower high and you can cut it, kind of make it a little bit more uniform. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts and please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but for you simply to consider. Greg is producing today, and when you call, he'll ask for your name and where you're calling from, and then he'll put you up on the computer screen, and I just start at the top and work my way down. So um, what's going on in your yard? Well, if you can't quite figure out what's going on, why not have me come over and do what I call a walk and talk? So in other words, it's a site visit to your home. You have a list of questions that we work our way through, and also we take a look at other things that maybe you haven't considered. That One of the houses I was at this past Wednesday, they always said, well, water always sits in this part of the yard. And then what I did is, hmm, it was a little bit low. It wasn't drastically low, but I wonder why water went to that spot. It was on a, sl- a little bit of on a slope. But then I looked up and saw where the downspouts from their gutters were going, and water was shooting straight out of the downspout, you know, and the, the nose of the downspout right to the spot where they have water to settle. So that's the kind of stuff I keep my eyes open for as well. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number, and you can contact me and we can set up a time. Now, the special recognition, that's the tip of the trial for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Today's tip of the trial, St. Louis Composting, 636 861 three three 
888-888-4444. Today's tip of the trial goes out to the Webster Groves Herb Society. They're going to welcome welcome spring with their annual herb and plant sale, and that's going to be Saturday, April 21st. The doors open at 8.30 a.m. The first congressional church located at West Lockwood at Elm and Webster Groves. And you can shop the thousands of Missouri and Illinois-grown herbs and vegetables that will be available. There are also going to be useful tips, demonstrations as well, and tasty treats and recipes to be, you know, to be provided also. Profits from the, you know, this is going to be used for the community garden outreach programs and scholarships in plant-based studies. So you can visit www.wgherbs.org for plant lists and more information. Also, the uh, second tip of the trial today goes out to Brightside St. Louis. That's that organization that does so many different things, everything from planting daffodils along the highway to getting rid of graffiti off walls and buildings and everything else. But they have a wonderful site, physical site, as well as a great website, brightsidestl or brightsidestl.org. But uh, their location is on Kings Highway at Southwest. The demonstration garden there, they teach classes there. It is Brightside St. Louis is just one of the one of the great things here in the metropolitan area. And even, regardless of where you live, you should go by and just check it out. I mean, uh, it's just an amazing place. Not only what they do, but what they offer as well. They offer plant material for, you know, let's say for public areas, if you're, let's say, community-oriented. So right now what they have is a blitz, bloom, and more. So Operation Brightside, Brightside St. Louis. Just put that in, and you're going to find it and find out what a great organization that actually is. So um, those are the two tip of the trials, Webster Groves Herb Society and Brightside St. Louis. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Heading to Mount Vernon, and we're going into Carl's yard. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hey, we have uh, hosta beds, mm-hmm. and uh, they got mulch over them. The hostas haven't started to show up yet. Would it hurt to use preen in those beds before they emerge? No, no, because preen only kills grass seed. It will not kill perennials that are coming back up from the root system. Okay. I heard you say the seed, but I just want to make sure before I went out and did something to my hostas. (laughs) So it sounds like you enjoy your hostas. We do. We've got a lot of hostas, and... and, uh, we're, we always look forward to them. So it's big and lush, and the more the merrier. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And some of them, yeah. you know, some of the varieties are huge as far as the leaf and the color, some of the blue grays and things like that. It's a very diverse group of plants. So thanks, Carl. And now Thank let's you. go. And let's go to Imperial, Missouri, and that's where Ross lives. Hi, Ross. Hi, Mike. Uh, last spring I planted uh, a cabaret Japanese silver grass. And it did well. It grew to about four feet. And, uh, of course, over the winter, it uh, is a brown dormant color now. I was wondering if I need to do anything and when is the best time to do that. I know somebody told me that they burn theirs to the ground in early spring. What would you recommend and when would you do that? Now, this is just a clump, right? Or is this? Yes. Okay. Basically, what I would do is just go out there with the, you know, like take some bungee cords, wrap it up. 
and just about six inches off the ground, I would just cut it. Okay. So that way you get rid of all that debris and everything else because it's probably already shattering. You might have blades all over the place in your yeah, landscape. Started. Right. Yeah. So when this is the best time to do that, though? Uh, Any time when we're, let's say, past winter. So I say sometime after Valentine's Day, even though there might be cold spells and everything else. And this is probably a variety that ultimately you're not going to, let's say the center of the plant is going to not have the ability to produce any more grass blades. It's going to be on the perimeter only, but you don't need to worry about that yet. Okay. Thanks very much. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah, all the ornamental grasses. There's somebody down the street from me that uh, they have some maiden grass, some miscanthus. I wish they would cut that stuff down because it's starting to get all over the place. Now, luckily, it's not in my yard, but it's getting in the neighbor's yard and other things along that line. Let's go over to Maryville, Illinois. And, Laura, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Thanks for all the advice you give us. Uh, Love that there was a commercial about hot tubs because this is kind of related to hot tubs. So this past fall, we had a crane in our yard swinging a swim spot over the house. As the crane pulled off, it left pretty significant ruts in the front yard. The grass is still alive, but I have a very uneven front yard now and have no idea how to even it out. Basically, what's where the, you know, where let's say the ruts are, you're probably going to have to get a rototiller or something along that line. And get, you know, run that in those ruts to loosen that soil up. Even though it looks like the grass is there and everything else, it is going to have a very, very difficult time. It's going to become a weed farm. And if you're into lawns at all, so rototill that area, mix some compost in with it, and then get some either sod for those spaces or some grass seed for those spaces. If you get grass seed, make sure you get a grass, you know, seed starter mix or seed starter fertilizer for that. Fantastic. Okay, not a problem. And it's probably about the time to start doing that? Yeah. You don't want to do that when it's the ground is really wet because you'll make big lumps. But as soon as the ground gets warm, you got to turn this up because you cannot do anything else. You know, you can't lay sod into it. You can't put seed in it because it's still going to have heavy-duty compaction and nothing, you know, from a lawn standpoint or really pretty much anything is going to have much success there. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks so much for your help. Certainly. And now let's go to Waterloo, Illinois. And Laverne, how are you? I'm fine this morning. How are you? Very good. Uh, I have a uh, question about the uh, preen. Is that to be used like now for weeds? It's or? a little bit early, but oh. uh, it's, you know, it's all related to the soil temperature and everything else. Uh-huh. I would recommend that you go get to, you know, to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer when the soil temperature starts to get 50 degrees or above, that's when the pre-emergence should go down. Or you can just watch for the forsythia, the yellow flowering shrub, spring flowering shrub. When it's in bloom, that's when the pre-emergence should go down. Around the plants? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. And another question, I have a magnolia tree, and uh, it is leaves are, or the branches are coming out very close to the ground since I planted it. And is it a good idea to trim that or just leave it? It's up to you. It's a personal call. Some of the varieties will have multiple, let's say, trunks. You know, some varieties are grafted. Most of them are not grafted. But -hmm. if you got, you know, shoots coming off at the base, at the ground, you could cut those off. But just make sure you cut. Don't leave a stub because it just will continue to keep coming back. So just cut it, you know, close, as close to the ground or as close to the trunk as you possibly can. And that's about all you need to do. 
Okay, thank you for your information. Well, thank you, Laverne, and thanks for having me on your show. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Now let's go to South City, and that's where Rich lives. Hi, Rich. Yeah, Mike, enjoy your, your program. Well, thanks. Uh, I got a little problem. It's, it's a minor one. I had a new sidewalk put in. I live on the corner, and it's like a L-shaped uh, corner, you know. Mm-hmm. I had new uh, concrete put in. Uh, they put dirt around the edges. My question is, can I put uh, grass seed in there around that so I can get something growing again on the edges of the uh, sidewalk? Yeah. I, to be honest with you, I would probably, again, get some organic matter, some compost, mix that in with that existing soil that they put down because that's probably – it could be subsoil that they dug up. It could be who knows from where or anything else. It's probably not ideal ideal soil for, you know, let's say long-term growth of lawn it's just not going to happen. So if you improve it with some compost and things like that before you put the seed down, that's at least going to give you a better chance. Okay, then. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And again, for everybody that's putting seed down, lawn-type seed, seed starter fertilizer is something I definitely recommend you know, doing for the newly germinated seed. So thanks, Rich. And let's see. Now let's go to Edwardsville. That's where I'm headed. Actually, Holiday Shores after the show today. Webb, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Thanks for being on my show. Well, thank you. (laughs) This is a follow-up question. I called you a couple of months ago talking about nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, and nitrogen is what I need. But you also said, and I neglected to ask you, you said that nitrogen doesn't stay in the soil long. Right. How how long do I wait before I put in a second application? Is this days or months? Or? Well, you, you, nitrogen is really important. So you put it down. The plants grab basically as much as they need for right, right. then. So if you're talking about you know bed spaces where you've got uh, annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, or you're talking about lawn, it's going to be a little bit different. But if you just do your fertilizing on a routine basis – that's, you know, let's say once a month or whatever it happens to be. You don't necessarily need to do anything more than normal because you're not going to have – the plants don't need a constant, let's say, feeding of nitrogen. It's just not what they, they – they're going to grab what they need within the few days that it stays in the ground. Then, you know, nitrogen becomes a gas and then it just goes up into the atmosphere. Okay, well, this is in a garden, and I didn't know whether I should, like, every three months, I'm going to put it down before I plant anything. Right. And plow it under and water it in. Right. And then I'm going to put straw over the top as mulch, and then I'm going to put all my tomatoes and peppers and other things in. But I don't know, should I hit it again if I put that in in April? Should I hit it again in, like, July? No, I'd do it before then. With tomatoes, I'd almost feed every two to three weeks. Ah, okay. And use a tomato food. It'll say it right on the box or right on the package. Don't just use triple 12 or something along that line. Right. Well, no, what I'm going to put in, since I have excessive phosphorus and uh, potassium, I'm trying to get the nitrogen to balance those two. Yeah. So I'm going to put in a 25-5-5. That's fine. It's yeah. might might be a little. The reason why I'm saying you know with the with the tomato food it has calcium which prevents blossom end rot which is the black spots on the bottom of tomatoes right and things along that line. So that's the advantage of using you know I don't know the exact numbers on tomato food, but uh, just I'll yeah. look it up. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Yep. And good luck with like that. You're having a good time today. <laughs> well, thanks, Bye, Webb. Mike. 
And now let's go to St. Peter's. Gosh, we're going all over the metro area. Into Darren's yard. Hi, Darren. Hi. First time caller, long time listener. Great. I've got a few questions. One, I've got some evergreens leading up to the front porch that have pretty much just taken over. I can hardly get up my steps. Uh, can you cut those back down into small plants again without killing them? I would say I don't know how big they are or what specific variety they are, but I would say no. If you cut okay. them too severely, they are just not going to recover. Okay, what about if I just cut all the greenery off? Will they, will they... <laughs> Basically, on the interior, which there's probably no needles or no leaves or anything, down in there, they are probably, you know, depending upon how old they are, those buds that would be, be potential needles or leaves after you cut all the greenery off are probably dormant, dead. They're not going to do anything, so you're not going to get any new growth out of it. Okay. You could try it. Cool. And then call right, in and well, say, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, my next question is, I've got a sweet gum tree in the front yard. Ooh. And before I moved in, apparently the owner never did clean them up. I mean, they were buried, and they were just thick as thieves out there. Right. Now, the grass, I cannot get any grass. I put seed down. I've tried aerating. Now, is there something I can, is there some kind of chemical that, that the sweet gum balls put off to deteriorate the soil uh, acidity or whatever it might be that keeps the grass from growing? Basically, no. What it is okay. is the sweet gum tree, depending upon how big it is, or any kind of tree, people always think it's a shade. The shade is somewhat of a factor, but more so important as far as being able to get grass to grow underneath trees is the fact that the tree roots suck up all the nutrients and moisture and everything else. That's why you cannot really grow lawn underneath trees. So it doesn't matter about anything else that you might do. It just doesn't matter. You're not going to have successful lawn. So there's no chemicals I can put down or anything to no. get it to? Okay. Nothing. All right. Well, I, pre I appreciate your answers. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I don't sell anything, so I have no reason to say, you know, do this, 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 you know, because it's not nothing's going to make a difference. Mike Miller, KM Weiss Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're headed south on 55 down to Imperial, and we're going into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Hello. I have a couple questions. One, I've got, I, it, we call it a cherry blossom. I'm not 100% sure what the proper name is, but it might be a simple answer where I trimmed the lower branches a couple of years ago. Uh, there's some offshoots coming off of that that have got two or three feet and quite a few of them. I'm just wondering when to trim those. Uh, basically, you do it. Year. Yeah, you can do it uh, if, right now if you'd like. And when you make the final cut, just leave a stub of about a quarter inch. Don't leave a six-inch stub or anything else because that will help the, the wound, let's say, heal over. The cambium layer will be exposed. And also it should minimize any kind of offshoots that you're experiencing. Okay. And, and number two, over the years, off and on, every two or three years, I get the itch to, to plant uh, blueberries, and I pretty much kill them every time. I can't. <laughs> get them to do anything is there i don't want to be known as the blueberry killer but is there something that uh <laughs> well let's put it this way do? blueberries are very very difficult to grow here 
So just our weather and everything else. But blueberries need a highly acidic soil. So in other words, the soil pH, you're going to have to you know, get a soil sample taken from where you're planning on growing them. The soil pH for blueberries is usually about 5.5. That is very, very acidic. If they don't have that, then they're not going to do well. And you mix that in combination with our weather, and you're, you're doomed. Okay. So it's not necessarily me. No, Just... not at all. Okay. I've seen one house that had some pretty good success or one, I can't remember exactly where it was, with blueberries, but still they were nothing like what they really look like where in areas where they grow well. They just don't do it. Right. They don't like it here. Okay. I think I'll just give up then. I Move agree. <laughs> something else. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah, it can be very frustrating because you think, okay, now what's going on here? But uh, soil pH has a lot to do with it, but our weather has more to do with it probably than soil pH. St. Peter's, that's Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. Go Hello? ahead. Yes. Uh, I have a large pine tree, and I was wondering about the pine needles. Last fall, I kept them raked up constantly, and this spring I've got an abundance of them again, right. and I don't know if I should keep them raked up or let them accumulate. The pine needles do nothing wrong to the pine tree. The pine trees actually like them. It actually keeps the soil pH kind of acidic, which is what they want. It acts as a mulch, so you don't have to buy mulch. And so there's no reason to, to rake them up. Okay, it seems like this spring, or well, actually last fall, it spread out real far and like killed the grass. If it gets out into the lawn, it can have something to do with that. But usually the pine needles are not going to go beyond where the branches are. Now, some of them can be blown and things like that. But, uh, you know, there's other probably factors as well, like the pine tree root system that is having more of an impact on your lawn than actually the pine needles on the surface. Okay. And also, can the pine needles that I rake up be used for mulch? Uh, depends upon what type of plant. If you're using them around azaleas, hollies, dogwoods, things like that, it's perfect. Okay. But if you're using them around lilacs, which want an alkaline soil, they're not so good. No, this is just evergreens like yews? That's, they're perfect for that. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Certainly. Thanks, Mary. And now let's go to Crestwood. Pat, how are you today? I'm just fine. Thank you for your show. Well, thanks. I just have a kind of a mystery. I have a Christmas cactus. It's about six years old. It's been blooming like late November into December beautifully. I have one flower on it now. How, how could that be? <laughs> you mean... You already had the bloom at the, let's say... In December, right. Right. Well, it's just, you know, this bud's got a chance to get going, and it went, and so just enjoy the flower. It's only a single flower, and uh, you know what they look like, and so... I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with this plant. No. I hope. Not that I know of. No, well... It says... It says, Mary or Pat, you deserve another bloom, so I'm going to send a bloom out to you. So it's like somebody giving you, a, let's say, a single-stem plant, like a daisy or a lily or something like that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Certainly. Thanks, Pat. And let's go now to Fenton, and that's where Nick lives. Hi, Nick. How are you doing this morning, sir? Very good. 
So we've had a pre-emergent applied to our lawn, and it's starting to look good, but I'm seeing some clover uh, pop up here and there. What do I do about the clover? Um Pre-emergent, depending upon what type of clover there is, there is an annual type clover, but that would have already been germinated. So the clover you're going to have to go after. Clover's not an easy weed to kill. Try using like a weed be gone or a broadleaf weed killer, but just realize if you have a big patch of clover, I would have a tendency to, you know, sort of like take a sponge and take Roundup, step on the clover first to open up wounds, and then just dab the the clover with Roundup from a sponge that you have just in a bowl. Oh, okay. Yeah, no no big patches yet. It's, you know, I'm just seeing some isolated spots, but I want to make sure they don't become large patches. Right, exactly. Depending, again, there's a perennial type clover, and, well, there's a couple type of perennials. And there is a one annual type clover, which would have germinated last August, and it's a cool season clover, so it'll grow all the way through to the point when the temperature starts to get warm, and then it'll just die off on its own. But during that whole time, it's been producing seed for the following year. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. I appreciate that, sir. Yep. Well, thank you. And that's that's why, you know, I always advocate putting pre-emergent down twice a year. But, you, you know, most people don't like that, putting it down in August or early September because they want to put grass seed out. And you can't really do both of those at the same time. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, spring is here. Actually, you know, last week on the 20th, that was the first day of spring. Uh, I wish there would be a little more sun, but that's the way it goes. If you do have upright cedar slash junipers in your landscape, the ones that are native, either the birds drop the seeds, you know, the blueberries or whatever, you could expect to possibly see really soon, sometime in April, a really ugly, scary-looking orange jelly-like gall blob. And that's going to be what that is as part of the cedar apple rust disease scenario. So you get these blobs on the cedar slash junipers, and then they send these spores over to your crab apples, apples, hawthorns, and it causes the foliage to get spots all over it, causes some bloating on the stems of these other trees as well. Now, if you get junipers, if you're going to buy them, just make sure that you get juniperus chinensis. So in other words, that is a juniper. looks pretty much the same as our native junipers, but it's from China, and it doesn't get messed up in this cedar apple rust scenario. So don't buy the cedars that are native under any circumstances because the potential for cedar, cedar apple rust is there. Also, Easter lilies. I noticed uh, the snooks I go to down on uh, you know, Gravois and Hampton, Germania, there was a sign there. They had some Easter lilies, but there was a sign saying there had apparently at their production, nursery, greenhouse, whatever, had been some problems. So there's going to be a limited amount of Easter lilies available. If you do like Easter lilies, we always get one or two pots of them ourselves. Once they finish blooming, they're a hardy lily. So you can take them outside, shake all the potting mix off of them after you pull them off the pot, and then plant them in the ground a couple inches lower than what they were in the pot. And then you'll have... Easter lilies, white lilies, every year. So, but remember, Easter lilies. There may be a limited amount, at least at the you know Snooks florist area. Joe lives in Maryville. Joe, how are you? Hi. Good morning, Mike. 
I've got uh, a couple of these. I'm looking at the tag. I save the tags when I buy these trees. It says Flowering Pear Cleveland Select. Right. Well, I got a half a dozen of them out there, and I, I noticed on one of them, uh, the brand, two of the main branches are straight up. These are the branches straight up. They're starting to split. Now, the tree itself is about six, seven inches at, di- at the soil level diameter, and these branches are about two uh, two to three inches uh, diameter each. So my question is, should I? is there any sense in trying to strap them and hold them together, or should I just cut out the smaller of the two? It looks like they're going to split right down the middle. Basically, that's one of the problems with the flowering pear trees, whether they're Cleveland Select or any other varieties. Are we talking about where they come down and sort of meet at the trunk? That's where it's splitting? Yeah, and that split is about seven foot up from the ground. Right. So you can you can cable them together. You can bore holes through these trunks, you know, that are vertical, the ones that are splitting, and you know, put cable in between them and put uh, washers and nuts and bolts to hold them together. You can strap them if you want to. Either way, but yeah, that that splitting ultimately what the real problem is is it'll get worse and worse and worse as time goes on because water's going to run down these trunks and get into that split and cause it to even let's say, rot the wood a little bit more, causing more and more and more split. Well, that's why I was wondering, uh, should I uh, cut the small one off at an angle and and maybe put some, who knows what, some goo or something in the split so the water won't get in there? Would that save it? Uh, you could try it, but, uh, I mean, taking one of them out, you're still going to have that exposed crack, and I don't know what kind of goo you could use to actually fill, <laughs> fill in the crack. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. I mean, days of old, they tried those kind of things, and it doesn't really help all that much. But, yeah, you can either just, you know, drill holes, use some straps, and just strap it together. But, yeah, this is one of the major problems with that whole tree group. And at this age, it's not too bad, but as it gets, let's say, five or six years older, that's when the real trouble comes. Yeah, the old Bradford used to Exactly. One more quick question. I'm out here in the county, so I get to burn leaves. Uh, are these leaf uh, burn ashes good for anything? I mean, are they good to put around trees? Not that much. No, so it's, there's no sense in trying to... No. I mean, there's a little bit of nutrients in, you know, in the leaf, but there's really not too much that it really does. If you want to put it in your soil, that's fine. Don't just use it as a mulch. No, but just spreading it around at the base of a tree does nothing. No, not really. Okay, well, I'll try. I never thought of drilling holes through those branches. But <laughs> yeah, I'll just drill holes and, and put some... Uh, yeah, put a bolt through there with a washer and nut. Sure. All, All right. right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Yep. Now let's go to Baldwin, and that's where Nancy lives. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have an old um, lightning rod from an old neighbor, and I was wondering, does it do any good, and will it, will it cause uh, any fire if I have any wood near it? Uh, not that I know of. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so the, the chances good? of a lightning rod being struck is no greater than the top of a tree being struck. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, no, it doesn't, like, sort of, like, it's not a magnet for, you know, electricity from, let's say, lightning storms. Oh, to draw nitrogen or something, so no. forget that idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um, one other quick question, um, how long do you have to wait between the pre-emergent and putting down the seed? Usually about a month. A month? Oh, right. wow. 
Yeah, okay. so, I mean, read on the bag to make sure. Sometimes, depending upon what type it is, it could even be a little bit longer than that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I appreciate your knowledge and help. Well, sure. And now let's go to South County and to Peggy's yard. Hi, Peggy. Hi, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Sure. What I wanted to know is, we've got a red bud that's getting pretty tall. My husband tries to shape it. When's the best time to cut it, and how far can you cut that back? Uh, it all depends on how big it is, but basically you want to see as many flowers as you possibly can. So right after it finishes flowering, that's the, the best time to prune any spring flowering tree or shrub is when they finish flowering. So you get the advantage of the aesthetics of the flowers. Okay, so like how far could he trim it back? How, t- how big is it? It's probably at least, um, it could be 12 feet tall. I probably wouldn't cut more than a couple feet off. Okay. Because what happens if you cut it too much, then you reduce the amount of leaves, and consequently the leaves are for it. That's the factory for making food. So with sunlight, it takes up the nutrients and moisture through the vascular system of the veins. They go into the leaves, and then the leaves use sunlight, and it makes food, and that helps the overall health of the tree or what shrub or whatever it happens to be. Okay, so if it cuts too much, he's just kind of depleting its food source. Exactly. Okay. Now, too, have they come up with any more solutions for that zoysia decline? Uh, they keep experimenting around, and to me, it's just, you know, it's a matter of age and everything else. So I don't know of one, you know, specifically that's going to address that problem. Okay, so nothing really, a specific thing you could purchase to try and bring it back. No, but I can probably mix up something in my kitchen and sell it to you for a million dollars. Oh, got it. <laughs> Got it, got it. Is that kind of, with the trimming, though, with like the, I've got one of those hydrangeas mm-hmm. that, for blooming, and that's also getting pretty big. So should I do the same thing, wait for it blooming this year, and well, then? When do, of, well, when does it bloom? It's, Some, spring. it's starting to get buds on it right now. So the buds probably, if it blooms in the spring, you know, basically prune it right after it finishes flowering. If it blooms in the summer, wait until next, let's say, late winter, early spring, and prune it at that time. So in other words, the ones that bloom in the spring, the buds are already set for the flowers right now. The ones that bloom in the summertime, that's on new growth, and that growth comes the following year. Okay, yeah, because this past summer, I didn't really get any you know, flowers at all. Right, so basically stop pruning. Gotcha. Okay, well, thank you for your help. Yep. Have a nice day. Yeah, and if it's getting too big, you're better off to move it. Frank lives in Chesterfield. Frank, how are you today? Oh, great. Uh, I've got about half a dozen holly trees from uh, 6 feet to 40 feet, and there's a lot of brown leaves on the end of them. Is that caused by that uh, frost uh, freeze that we had, and will they just drop off and everything will be fine? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. They got wind burn, they got cold burn, and you think, well, that was, I mean, it was only like, it wasn't all that cold, but it, the broadleaf evergreens, the boxwood, the holly, the azaleas, you know, the euonymus, anything that was a broadleaf evergreen got damaged by that cold spell in January. Okay, I'll just uh, let them drop off as uh Time comes by. Right. And then if you need to, because let's say you got six or eight inches that doesn't have any foliage on it, you can go ahead and start pruning that stuff off or just leave it alone and see what happens. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And thanks to everybody for calling in. Thanks to Frank. He's the last caller of the day. So a lot of stuff going on in the outdoors. You know, like I said, Cornelian cherry, which is a type of dogwood, not the classic dogwood look. But it's yellow-flowered, small flowers about the size of a marble. They're in flower right now. The magnolias are in flower. 
So, thank goodness, you know, it's like been, you know, every winter seems to get a little bit longer and longer and longer, at least mentally for me. So, and just get prepared. Get your mowers, get those mower blades sharpened. So once you start to have to do the mowing, then because a bad mowing blade can just rag the top of the blades that you're cutting off and just makes them much more prone to, guess what, fungus and disease situation. So ask your, if you're having a service do it, ask them if they are going ahead and sharpening the mower blades. All that stuff makes a big difference. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, I will see you next week. The Voice of the Blues, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5 KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.